0: So every year on Christmas Eve, my family and I would go to the Christmas Eve service at First Christian Church in Salem, Illinois, and we would go about 5 o'clock or so, and we would gather for Christmas carols and a Christmas uh, message. I would say marriage, Christmas message. It's a very different thing. And we'd have communion. It would be a nice little church service. And then afterwards, my family and then my aunt and uncle and cousins and everybody, we would head back to Grandma Schultz's house for very traditional Christmas dinner of hors d'oeuvres, lasagna, and grandma's pineapple punch. I know, it sounds really eclectic, but it gelled better than you think. And of course, my cousins and I, we would eat very quickly, and then we'd be the first ones done. We'd gather around the Christmas tree, and we would just sit there, foaming at the mouth with anticipation, while the adults just took their sweet time eating dinner, laughing, cutting it up. And I think they did it on purpose, like they took so long just to eat dinner. They enjoyed the torture of watching us squirm at the Christmas tree. And then finally, when the torture had reached its its peak, they would come in and they would sit around and we'd distribute presents and we would open and we'd laugh and about another hour or so would go by and then we would all depart, go to our respective homes. But before we headed home, my family and I always made it a tradition to drive around the neighborhood and to look at the different Christmas light displays that people had put up. And as anxious as I was to get home and get to bed so that Santa could do his thing, I always loved looking at the Christmas lights. But we were not Christmas light people ourselves. We did not hang lights. We tried a couple of years, uh, but it just didn't go well. You know, it was a lot of work and a lot of hassle. Uh, You know, dad would get up there and put them up, and then the weather would get bad, and inevitably it would be like February before we could take them down again. It just, it wasn't worth it. So we resigned ourselves to the idea that we were just not Christmas light people. That doesn't mean I don't like Christmas lights. You know, I still love these displays where, you know, you've probably noticed every week there's a little bit more. We're just building anticipation, waiting for that big day that we celebrate when Jesus was born. But some people are Christmas light people. You know, they come from Christmas light families, and that's why they put up lights. I did a little bit of reading this week and read some surveys and actually found that a a large reason why a lot of people put up lights is they have fond memories of their family putting up lights, and so they want to keep the tradition alive. They come from Christmas light families. And it just goes to show you how family shapes you. You know, even in small ways, like whether or not you hang Christmas lights or you eat lasagna on Christmas Eve, or if we're talking about big things like our morals, our values, our worldview, family plays a huge role in shaping us and forming us, maybe more so than any other force on this planet. We started a series a couple of weeks back. It's called Shine, and it's all about the light, about living in the light and walking in the light and shining with the light of God in our lives. And this morning, I want you to know that you have been invited to be a part of a family of light, God's own family, to be adopted as his children. And that family has the power to shape us just as much as our earthly family. To help us understand what that means to belong to this family of light, I want you to turn in your Bibles to like a 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen behind or even better, if you want to download the Uversion Bible app on your mobile device, you can look up the scriptures, take some notes. We've already uploaded the sermon notes for the sermon on there for you. It's 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Now, like I said earlier, because of the work of Jesus, we have been invited. We have the opportunity to belong to God's own family. John puts it like this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. And we're just going to pause there. I know there's another sentence in that verse, but we've already read enough to chew on. That This is going to take some time to digest. We've just been called children of God. We have this opportunity to have that title applied to our lives. And that's a big deal. You know, we sometimes use that title too often in our culture. It gets watered down You know, because we are all children of God in the sense that he created us all, but this is talking about something a little more particular and a little more special. This is talking about being a part of God's own family, to be adopted as his sons and as his daughters. And that raises a pretty interesting question, like, who initiated this adoption process? Because I don't remember signing anything, do you? And when we read our passage, we find the answer to that. It's God. How great the love the Father has lavished on us. This whole adoption process started with him. Did you hear the story about the little orphan girl who had a series of prospective families and then she interviewed them and whittled it down to one lucky couple and then she wrote a letter to them informing them that they had been selected to come and to adopt her and to take her home and that their privilege was to come and pick. Did you hear that story? No, of course you didn't because nothing like that's ever happened. That's not the way adoption works. Adoption doesn't begin with the child. It begins with the parent. And what our passage is telling us is that our adoption into God's family is the same thing. It started with God. He's the one who pursued us. He sought after us. And he called out to us. And he sent his son into this world to come looking for us and to find us. And once we accepted that invitation, he accepted us, washed us clean, brought us into his family, gave us a new name. This whole process is his work and his joy. It's initiated by him. And he didn't pursue us and adopt us because we were so worthwhile or so lovely either. You know, we hadn't earned this right and this privilege. We read in our passage as well how great The love the Father has lavished on us. He's poured it out on us, spoiled us with this love. God didn't pursue us because we were worthwhile. He pursued us because he loved us and he wanted us for himself. And that's why he offers this invitation. Saying that I have earned my way into God's family is a lot like saying I've earned my way into a size 11 shoe. It just doesn't work that way, right? No matter how much I want it to be true, it's not. This process started with God. And I'm emphasizing this and really hitting on this a lot because I want you to take away two points from this. Okay, First, I want you to understand what a great gift this is. This is an incredible gift that God has given you. We're in the season of gift giving right now. So this is probably very relevant. It's on our minds. How many of you out there are done with your Christmas shopping, by the way? Yeah, that's about right. Not many hands. We all have that last minute shopping to do. It's a season of gift giving, and probably back in your brain files somewhere, you have this special Christmas gift memory, I'm willing to bet. It may be a, a gift that you, you really wanted, and when you got it, you were just ecstatic. Or maybe it was a gift you didn't expect, or maybe it was a gift that brought tears to your eyes. I'm willing to bet you've got one of those memories. For me, it was the fifth grade. There was a, I really wanted a Game Boy, a little handheld video game system, and this one video game that all my friends had. I wanted it so much. Months I waited, and Christmas morning came, and I unwrapped it, and everything else in that room disappeared. And all I wanted to do was squint at that tiny little screen and press those buttons till the batteries died, and that's what I did. And then I did it again the next day and the next day, and I'm pretty sure that's why I wear glasses today. But if I had to, I'd do it all over again. I love that memory. And you probably have a special Christmas gift memory too, but I want you to know as precious as that memory is and as precious as my memory is, they don't hold a candle to this gift that God has placed in your lap. He has chosen you, you specifically. This God who who spoke creation into existence and whose vastness cannot be counted, cannot be measured, this God chose to invite you to be a part of his family, to be his son, to be his daughter, and to experience all the benefits and the privileges thereof. And we'll talk about those in a little bit, but I want you to understand what a gift this is that God has given us, this opportunity to be his. Second thing that I really want us to understand here, I really want us to walk away understanding how little we have to do with this adoption process. We did not earn this. We did not merit this. This was not our work. This started with God. It was his choice to invite us. He pursued us. He sought us. He sent his only son into this world to die to make this happen. All we did was say yes. That's about the extent of our involvement in this process. We're included in the family because of his grace and only because of his grace. So I want you to understand just how little we have to do with this adoption process. So here's what that means. You have very little to do with your inclusion in this family, which means that you will have very little to do with your exclusion from this family. We didn't make our way in by our own merit, and we're not going to get kicked out because we've fallen short or because we've tried so hard. What I'm really trying to say is, look, I talk to a lot of people about their relationship with God. It's it's kind of my job. And in a lot of these conversations, I'm surprised at how many people are burdened with this belonging in the family, as if they feel they have to measure up before God, or they feel that they have to be good enough in his eyes, that they have to live so well that they earn their place at his table. And if they mess up, or if they fall short, or if they stumble, he's going to kick them out, or they're going to be some sort of second-class stepchild or something. That's not the way it works. God has brought us in by his grace. We are included because of his grace. He knew we were screw-ups when he brought us in. That's why he sent Jesus into this world. It's a burden that sucks the joy out of being a part of this family. There's this man who went on vacation to Italy one time, and he went to all the major tourist stops. He went to Rome, and and he saw the Colosseum. Then he went to Venice, and he saw the canals. And Then he made his way to Pisa. And when he got to the city of Pisa, he saw this beautiful tower, but it was leaning to one side. And he was very concerned about it because it looked like it was going to topple over. But everybody just kept walking around like it was no big deal. And he kept thinking, doesn't anybody see this? Isn't anybody going to do anything about this? And just taking that burden upon himself, he ran up to the tower and he braced it with his body and he just stayed there. And it seemed to do the job because the tower wasn't falling. And so that's where he stayed, straining with every fiber in his being. And he stayed there all night long until his muscles burned and ached, until the sun rose, and he just finally collapsed from exhaustion. And when he did, he felt like such a failure because he had failed. This tower was going to fall. He had let everybody down, he'd let himself down. He deserved to get crushed by this falling tower. And so he laid there and just waited for it to happen. Except it didn't. The leaning tower of Pisa just stayed there and continued to lean the same way it had for centuries. And when the man finally realized that it wasn't his responsibility to hold the tower up, that it wasn't a matter of his strength or his will, He was finally free to start enjoying that tower. And he noticed how beautiful the work was on it and the architecture was. And it's kind of a ridiculous story, I know. But it's just as ridiculous to think that it's somehow our responsibility to keep our place at God's table and to keep our place in his family. It's not a matter of our strength or our ability. It's a matter of his grace and a matter of his love. It doesn't mean that we're free to just run off and do whatever we want. There are responsibilities attached to this belonging, too, and we'll talk about those later. But right now, I just want us to understand this is a gift that God has given us, and this is a gift meant to be enjoyed, not a gift that's meant to be a burden. There are privileges here. We we have the gift of joy. We have contentment. We have peace because of this gift. There are a lot of perks and benefits to belonging. In fact, that's what John goes on to kind of mention here. There are perks and benefits some privileges to being adopted into God's family. And that's true of any family, really. I mean, if you think about your own family, you probably can think of some of the privileges you've experienced because of who you belong to. In my family, it's the, the privilege of being able to build and fix things. Uh, my grandfather was an independent contractor for a number of years. He built several homes. My dad built the house that I grew up in. He recently remodeled the house he lives in now. And I can change a light bulb like nobody's business. So... I'm selling myself a little short there. I'm never going to build a house, but simply by being part of that family and watching them work and helping them out, I've acquired skills that have helped me a lot and have saved me a lot of money. And if I do come across a problem that I don't know how to fix, I have an expert just one phone call away. It's one of the privileges of being a part of my family. And you probably have privileges that come with being a part of your family too. Maybe you come from a family of good cooks. Or maybe you come from a family of mechanics. Or maybe a family of savvy investors. Or maybe you just have good health that runs in your family. You know, good genes. There are privileges to belonging to every family. And the same is true of this one. There are privileges and benefits to belonging to God. We look at verse 2. We see this. John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he, meaning Jesus, appears, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, this passage is talking about Jesus here. And it's talking about how when Jesus was crucified and buried and raised back to life, we all know that story, right? When he was raised back to life, he had this body, but it was a body that wasn't going to die again. It was a body that wasn't subject to suffering and pain like that. This was a body that had been perfected, a body that is going to endure forever and ever for all eternity. That's good news. And what John is saying in this passage is that when Jesus returns, because that story's not over yet, remember, when Jesus returns, all of God's children will receive a body just like that. One that does not suffer, one that does not perish, one that is not subject to death and all the junk of this world. Now, how that works exactly, we don't know. And even John admits, what we will be, we don't quite know yet. But we know it's going to be good. But that doesn't mean we aren't given some indication in the New Testament of what this body, what this privilege is going to be like. When we look at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in natural body, but it's raised A spiritual body. And he seems to be saying here that this this new body, this resurrected life that Jesus brings to all of God's children is one in which we have a body that doesn't suffer, one that doesn't die, one that isn't subject to all the junk. And if we're going to live an eternal life, we're going to need a body that can handle that kind of mileage, right? I mean, you think about the body that you have right now. Even at its physical peak, our bodies are kind of frail things, We're still subject to broken bones. We still get the flu and all that nasty stuff that comes with it. We're still kind of frail creatures. I'm only 30. I'm in pretty good shape, but things have started to pop that are not supposed to pop, and it's pretty early in the game. I know it's just downhill from here, okay? But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know because some of you have experienced or you've watched people you love and care about struggle against disease, and have to undergo surgery after surgery, and fight cancer, and deal with a whole host of problems and issues. Our bodies wear down. Time's not kind. I used to visit a man named George in the nursing home. Um, and every time I visited George, I tried to share a little bit about what I was going to preach that Sunday. Because George's eyesight was just so bad, he couldn't read anything. Even his large print Bible, and I mean large print, he just he couldn't make it out. And any sort of audio recording or audio you know, stuff, it, just, it was all garbled to him because his hearing was so bad. In fact, the days where his hearing aid batteries were dead, I just waved and said, I'll see you tomorrow because you literally would have to shout through the conversation. And one day I was driving home from seeing George, and I realized that those times that we had were his only real connection to Scripture at this point in his life. He didn't have anybody else that came and, and saw him and spoke with him. He couldn't see it. He couldn't hear it. And then I realized that someday that could be me, too. And I'll be honest with you, that kind of scared me a little bit because I love this book and I love its message. And to think that I might be cut off from it just because my body can't keep up is scary. Our bodies wear down. They give out. And I've been in the room when it happens several times now. And in the eyes of some people, I've seen a lot of fear because they don't know what's happening, and what comes next. But in the eyes of other people, I've seen something very different because they know a family they belong to. And they know the privileges and the benefits that come with being a child of God. I've seen hope in those eyes. You see, this is one of the benefits of belonging to the family, guys. It's not just joy today. It's not just confidence today. It's hope for tomorrow and every day that comes after. There are perks And privileges to being a part of this family. We're in the season where we celebrate the day that Jesus came into this world and became like one of us. John's trying to get us to understand that there's a day where we will become like him, where our bodies will be raised, and we will live forever and ever in the celebration of our God and Father. There are privileges to belonging to this family. But there is another side of the coin, too. You see, there are also responsibilities to being adopted into God's family. We read about those in John 2. You think about your family, you can probably think of the responsibilities that you had to live up to. When I was uh, in high school, my buddies and I, we wanted to sneak in to go see an R-rated movie. Not all of us were 17 yet. And so we told my family, or I told my family rather, I'm going to go to the theater. Conveniently left out the title of the movie. They said, okay, be back at this time. So we went to the theater and we bought a ticket for some other show. And then we had a friend that was working the, the ticket booth. He conveniently looked the other way as we snuck in. And then when I got home, my dad was up. He said, how would how'd you like the movie? I said, it was good. He said, what would you see? Well, I'm good at omitting information, but I'm not good at just making stuff up. So I just came out with it. I said, we went and saw this movie. We had to sneak in to see it. And he wasn't especially angry, but he was a little disappointed. And he said something that I still remember. He said, that's not how we do things. A little bit later, my dad had started to date again. It was kind of weird for me, to be honest with you. I was 17, 18 at that time. And I really don't remember how we got on this conversation, but I remember sitting in his dining room table and his black leather Bible on the side of it, and he just took the opportunity to start talking to me about dating and, and why he was doing it and talked to me about my dating life, which between you and me was non-existent, so that wasn't an issue. But I remember him saying, look, you know, here's what I'm kind of wanting and why I'm dating, and it would be easier just to go to a bar, find somebody and bring them home for the night. But that's not what I want. And then he said that phrase again, that's not how we do things. See, it was made clear to me by either my mom or my dad, it didn't matter, that belonging to our family meant living up to a certain expectation. There were responsibilities attached to it. Being a part of this family meant something. And you might be thinking about your family right now and the responsibilities of that family and what it meant to belong to your family. It means something to belong to this family too, God's family. We read those responsibilities, 1 John chapter 3. Skip down to verse 7. It goes like this. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And This is the part I really want you to pay attention to. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. He belongs to his family. And this is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, there's a lot in this passage. We could spend our whole time together just diving into this. We're going to We're going to summarize. Basically, what's been said here is this. Remember what family you really belong to because the truth will be seen in your actions. It means something to belong to this family. He says, if you belong to the devil, then you will act like the devil. You will sin. You will accept darkness in your life. You can tell who you really belong to by your actions, but that's not how we do things. We belong to a different family. We belong to a family that means something. There are responsibilities to being a part of God's family. It means living like part of God's family. Taking on the family resemblance. You think about our father and what he looks like. We read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. In him there is no darkness. So what could that mean for his children other than we too must be light. In us, there is no darkness. What he's saying, gang, is that we got to shine. Because when it comes to the ways of injustice, and when it comes to the ways of underhandedness and unlove, that's not how we do things. Because it means something to belong to this family. We have a father who loves. And that means we love, because we are his children. We have a father who stands up for what is right, and that means that we stand up for what is right, because we are his children. We've got a father who stands up for the oppressed. That means we stand for the oppressed. We've got a father who shows grace and mercy. That means that we show grace and mercy. We've got a father who forgives. That means that we forgive because this is our family, and this is what it means to belong to God's family. We've got a father who is light, and that means we must shine like light in this world. That's how we do things in the family. Every one of us in here this morning has been invited to come and to be a part of this family and to experience all of the privileges and all of the benefits. This is a gift that God is giving, but like all gifts, it has to be accepted and it has to be received. It isn't just going to be thrust into your life, which means that there may be a step some of us have to take this morning. For some of us, it may be that first step in which we say yes to Jesus. We say, Christ, I need that forgiveness. I need that fresh start and that invitation into the family that only comes through you. And if that's you this morning, I wanna encourage you, there's a connection card on the back of the seat in front of you. Why don't you take some time to fill that out? And on the back left-hand side, there's a couple of boxes all about beginning your journey with Jesus. You can put that in the offering plate when it comes by at the end of service. We would love to get in contact with you to help you get started on this journey and to welcome you into the family. But for some of us who are already part of the family, there may be a different step this morning. It may be a step in which we leave something behind us, where we set it aside because it just doesn't fit with the family. Some sin, some darkness. We have that opportunity, that privilege, and that gift because of what Jesus has done for us. All we have to do is take that step. So I want to encourage you this morning. You belong to a family of light. Let that family shape you. Let it shape the way that you shine in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of belonging to your family. We've talked about it for 25 minutes or so, and we haven't even scratched the surface of what it means to belong to you and what a privilege and a joy it is. So I pray that you would impress it upon the hearts and the minds of all listening today, that we might understand what a joy it is to be your child. I pray that we would experience the closeness. I pray that you would lead us as children, discipline us as children, that we might grow into godly men and women. Father, thank you for Jesus who makes this all possible and who cleanses us, who brings us into the family, who shows us what it means to live like a child of God. Father, thank you for that gift and all that it's accomplished in this world. It's in your holy name that we pray these things. Amen. right well Kathy because of your shared faith in Jesus and because of your desire to be obedient to him I now baptize you in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit (laughs) all right all done you can stand up and go So since I'm back here, we'll just go ahead and do the uh, end of the announcements. (laughs) Uh, We do just have a